0: DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because when you do, you will get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Kreisman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is Beat Writer, Patrick Lyons. And on this episode, we have got to dive a little bit deeper into one of our favorite topics and really start laying the groundwork for what the Colorado Rockies may be looking for in a free agent bat. We we get to take steps further in this conversation about what has and has not worked at Coors Field. And one last long look at that DJ LeMahieu question. But before we can get into all of that, Patrick. There were fireworks in the NL West last Eve. There was not quite a kerfuffle, perhaps the potential to escalate into a bruhaha. But at no point was it quite that. There were just um, there was a lot of excitement, shall we say, in the game last night between two NL West rivals. It was a great one. It was a great one again, after the Padres had
1: lost game one, you know, somewhat decisively, you know, they had to, to come back and win a must win game two. Let's face it. That's what it is in a five game series. You can't afford to get go down two-zero 0 and, and have to win the next three games in a, a row, like on um, days in a row, because there are no off days in this division series. So it was a it was a huge must win game and they were able to battle back late but unfortunately didn't quite have enough as we saw Clayton Kershaw Clayton Kershaw really you know start to you
0: know rewrite history in a way yep. and
1: say yeah maybe I haven't got it done before but look at me now
0: and we're seeing some of the highlights here. So those of you who are just listening to the podcast, remember to swing by uh, both now the Facebook and the Periscope if you want to join us live Monday through Friday, 4.05, very baseball time we're going now on Wednesday. You can also catch us on YouTube for that special DFA show, and we will continue to make that more and more of a special thing as we go throughout the season. But if you're joining us here on the live, you're seeing some of these highlights uh, from the game last night as the Padres were able to take that lead there in the second. But as Patrick mentioned, you know, Clayton Kershaw really starting to rewrite his postseason narrative. And it certainly helps that the uh, end of the game dramatics here happen to go in favor of the Dodgers.
1: For sure. Yeah, he looked fantastic uh, through the first five innings. You know, that sixth inning was where he, he gave up uh, the two home runs, including the home run to Machado, uh, where, you know, Things got a little bit dicey there, but, you know, did a fantastic job, you know, keeping San Diego hitters off balance again. And, and again, this lineup that is is slowly becoming one of the most feared. It might not have, you know, all the star power of of some other clubs that are still left in the postseason and some that are. I mean, look at the Chicago Cubs. They've got a lot of names you've been familiar with for, you know, nigh on five years after their World Series win in, in 2016, but the Padres have a lineup that have a couple names and a couple more. You should start to know, like an Austin Nola and a Jay Cronenworth, and you know a handful of other guys that on a night in and night out basis, you go, man, this guy beat us. Well, yeah, Trent Grisham is a is an incredibly underrated guy that you know yeah. last year at this right. time we knew his name for uh, a fielding error in the outfield and was a just a major gaffe. Uh, after contributing to the Brewers late last season, and AJ Preller, as we talked about in, in yesterday's podcast, doing a great job as a GM and, and saying, "All right, well, maybe Milwaukee wants to unload this guy. Maybe he's the he's the goat uh, that they that they point at for that loss last year." Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and scoop him up because we see a lot of value, and that that kid's got a lot of pop in that bat out there in center field. So Grisham's a name to know, uh, as is this man right here. Manny Machado, who hits that home run off Kershaw. We know that one,
0: I think. <laughs> throws
1: that bat down to the ground and says, let's go, you know, in a nice, very
0: polite way to his team. Yeah, very, very, very polite. So, uh, yeah, there, there's where it starts, right? Uh, Machado hits a big home run. He's excited. He should be excited. I honestly got no problem with guys getting excited, and you throw your bat as a part of it. All right, cool. Very good. I, I think – like a lot of people out there, Patrick, what I'm not particularly a fan of is hypocrisy. And if you're going to react that way when you hit a home run, then when this happens and Cody Bellinger makes a phenomenal game saving catch, gets incredibly excited about it. Now, I will admit, if you're the pitcher, Bruce Dark, greater all there, like your celebration is a bit <laughs> interesting considering you got you bailed out there. But I would be very happy too. You were very happy, you showed it. I was very happy, I showed it. Come on, Manny Machado.
1: Yeah, not not bad for a first baseman play in center field there with Bellinger making yeah. that grab. Yeah, and quality. if you go and, if you go and watch Ooh. the video, he's got his he's got his finger number 1 up in the air before be- before his feet touch the ground, yeah. which is amazing by Bellinger, but you're right. Brewers' Gratterall throws his glove, Frisbee's his hat in celebration, which you're right is rather strange since you know, you gave up a, a, a hit that went, you know, 409, 410, feet, you know, until Bellinger made, you know, an all-time great postseason catch. So Machado's not happy. He's chirping. Uh, Max Muncy's saying, hey, get back in your dugout. Mookie Betts with much nicer language. He's just saying, go, go, get get out of here. And uh, you're right. It, it, you know, we 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 talked about it when we previewed this series is that there's really no bad blood between either of these teams. And the only thing it should be is just something on the field. Like, Hey, we're going to be facing each other a lot. Those guys have a lot of talent. We have a lot of talent. So we might take offense to some things that that you do, but you're right. It is a little bit hypocritical to say, wait, you're celebrating too much, or I don't like the way you're celebrating. We saw Max Muncy do it against Madison Bumgarner. Uh, We've now seen Machado do it against Clayton Kershaw. So it goes both ways. And it's nice that, you know, pitchers from both sides and the coaches from both sides, didn't feel the need to, you know, put it in their hands and say, hey, let's maybe brush some oh, guys back. They said, oh. all right, fine. That's the way they dealt with it. We'll we'll deal with it. We'll, we'll just hit. We'll just win the ball game. And that's, that's really how the game should be played. So, um, you know, hats off to them for, again, for having that kind of intensity, but at the same time not endangering anybody's livelihood
0: with a pitch too high and too tight. I'm very glad you, you concluded your thoughts there with that because I do think that's the biggest deal. While I'm you know, i like, come on, Manny, you started it and you know it. A- at the same time, he didn't go out and punch anybody and he didn't encourage someone to throw at anybody else. Um, he has yet to, say, spike someone at the bases. You know, there was a thing, uh, I remember a couple of years ago where he, where he stepped on somebody um, coming up the first baseline. I don't want to see any of that. But if you're chirping at each other, I love it. I love the John Boy breakdown. You can go and find that, especially if you're into some R-rated baseball content. Like, I I actually think that – I don't know if I could say this is good for baseball, but I don't think it's bad for baseball no. as long as guys aren't throwing at each other and, and like you said, taking it, like crossing that line. But a little bit of chirping, a little bit of across the shoulder. You get back in your – no, you get back in your dugout. Like, all right. Let's go. And all the F-bombs, I'm here for it. Like, it's intense, man. These guys are playing for a lot. And it, and it's – sometimes it's weird to me that we uh, – particularly in baseball, but it happens a little bit more in the other sports, have this demand of, like, we want them to pretend like they don't care. Like, I don't get it. We critique them for being prima donna millionaire athletes who, you know, can care more about money than winning. And these guys are out there playing the game the way – You know, some angry teenagers might, (laughs) but still it's like, yeah, they want to win. They want to stick up for their guy and they want to bury the other guy. And I, I I like watching that.
1: Yeah. And it allows the personalities to be personalities. You know, it, it, it can become a trademark thing. You know, we, we, uh, have, you know, grown used to the idea of, you know, you hit a big home run or if you're a, you know, more of a flamboyant player, you're going to flip your bat. that's that's a good thing and and what would be really cool if guys were to create their own signature bat flips and you go man (laughs) i i can't wait to see harper do you know a a a 1280 bat flip where it rotates in the air five times and you know only he can generate that kind of spin going to the ballpark to wish for something like that rather than just you know hey a good game from harper or his teammates that's something that can take the game to from being you know an old man sport to being, you know, a young guy sport where you can have these young personalities um, and see Fernando Tatis wearing these gigantic, you know, macho man esque ten <laughs> ten uh, is is the marker there. Yeah, yeah gigantic totally. macho sure. man or or Brett Hitman heart, you know, glasses and and goggles when he's out there in the field. And guys are now able to wear these more stylized socks made by Stance. And it's like these are the important things. We get to see it, you know, on, on players' weekend. We get to see it occasionally. Uh, a little bit, like on Father's Day, and uh, you know Memorial Day, various holidays throughout the year, where hey, there's a little color, there's a little bit of flair, and we need more of that in the game of baseball. So yeah, it's it, it's really it was really nice to see it done in a in a really good way. Chirping, yes. Uh, displeasure, upset, you know, four letter words, great, but no brawls, you know. Still had good proper distancing and And no one's career was was ended, ruined or 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 hampered in any way. So yeah, go right out there. Right, yeah. play play the game, tough nose again, and you know what? you you wanna make sure that I don't do that again, then
0: get me out. Totally. Let's go. Let's play a little baseball. Love it. Well, I would love to have once again not have forgotten to bring a Breck Brew upstairs as one sitting downstairs in my fridge, nice and cold, waiting for me when we get done. With this, I'd like to crack one open for one of our favorite topics we're about to get into in just a moment. Got mine down at the King Supers just across the way. Of course, one of my favorite places to get them is at the DNVR bar, but the best possible place to get it is out there at the farmhouse where they're making it straight from the source. Plus, you can get some absolutely delicious food, whether you want to hang out in their socially distanced and beautifully set up outside dining area, or you just want to get some delivery, or not delivery. You got to go and pick it up, but you go and get that curbside pickup. You call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. You use that code DNVR. You'll save five bucks on both the food And the beer, you can crack open uh, an Avalanche Amber Ale, one of my favorite summertime drinking beers, and actually goes nicely right into the the fall as well. It's a nice crisp weather beer. So that's one of those ones that's sort of multi-seasonal for those two, I think, is when the Amber Ale is the best. And we can get back into, like I said, Patrick, one of our favorite topics, which is, of course, how can the Colorado Rockies build some kind of sustainable offense when they've got this huge difficulty when they go out on the road, a seeming gigantic advantage when they're at home that they haven't always been able to harness and take advantage of. And of course, now there's a couple other people I want to add into the conversation, a few other contact hitters throughout the years for the Colorado Rockies. So, you know, bring us your guesses. Let, Let me know who you think, we're going to talk about here. Uh, But first of all, of course, I did write the article a few days ago about DJ LeMay And uh, I do want to say, even before we get into the specifics about the Coors Field stuff, Patrick, the stat that I found that really inspired me to write that piece, it was something that I I think I texted it to you. Maybe I said it to you in one of our, our post podcast chats. And so I just wanted to get your reaction. And of course, the the stat is in the piece, which was that during his time in Colorado, seven seasons, DJ LeMay, who hit a grand total of seven opposite field home runs, That's one per year. For those of you math geniuses out there in his first year in New York, he hit 16.
1: huh. So he went from a one to one ratio, playing half of his games at Coors Field hashtag Coors, to a one to sixteen ratio, playing at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Right now, (laughs) understatement. (laughs) We've talked about this before, obviously, and I think every Rockies fan is known, at least in their gut, uh, that. LeMay inflated not inflated increased, let's say, uh, home run statistics probably had something to do with Yankee Stadium. And then that stat just begs a whole bunch of further questions, right? And so um, you know, there's a lot of data in the piece. And again, I highly recommend everyone subscribe to the DNVR.com. Everyone go a- and read the piece if you want all the nitty gritty details, but You know me, I like once I go through all the data, just pairing that with the eye test. Sometimes it's nice just to use the brain in your head connected to your eyeballs and the fact that you understand a little bit of baseball and take a look at the evidence in front of you. And it's heartbreaking for Rockies fans, but I think really telling. Uh, So we found a video. That some generous, I think, Cubs fan <laughs> happened to uh, put on YouTube of uh, all of the home runs, all 26 home runs that DJ LeMayhew hit in 2019. And we're gonna pay specific attention to the opposite field ones, including, including his first all, one of the season. <laughs> the first one of the season that goes barely into the front row the other way, <laughs> easy out at Coors Field. You'll note a lot of these ones that he turns on. Those are going to be home runs most everywhere. Like that's probably a home run just about anywhere. That's a bad hanging changeup, yacked out inside the foul pole. That's going to be a home run unless there's a high wall anywhere but Boston.
1: Camden Yards again, nice and cozy Oh, uh, confines. Oh, look there, at
0: that one off the top of a short wall in the like
1: the front front row. So and that that right field wall that they have there is almost similar to the auxiliary scoreboard. Uh, at Coors Field, only difference being there's not that that barrier um, right. at Camden Yard, so that ball would have would have hit the barrier. If not, maybe would have been caught.
0: And that was only one of two of these opposite field home runs, not at Yankee Stadium. So those of you you know wondering about that ratio, there was another one. I think that one would have probably still been a double off the wall, but not a home run at Coors. That there again, the pole the pull side ones. Most of those are homers. It's You're also strange inside. watching this and seeing fans, too, right? Yeah, it was right. only a year ago, and we,
1: we, we've lived in a world with fans more than we haven't yet. Right now in the world that we're
0: in, it's, it is strange. It's, it's very bizarre to see them. Again, out to center field there, that's probably gone most places. That might be, but that still might be a double off the wall at Coors. Didn't count it. This is one that any right fielder at Coors Field is going to camp underneath and catch. Easily or Dodger Stadium, Arizona, San Diego, any place in the NL West. That last one, the first one we saw, they're not just not home runs. They're outs.
1: Yeah, Josh Reddick there, uh, you know, in right field. He played at Yankee Stadium plenty of times, as, as I remember the A's and, and Astros, of course, um, and, and Boston where he came up. But it was interesting seeing him just hit the wall and like, oh, wow, I, that's yeah. it. I'm out of room. I should be able to catch that. There's, there's, another, there's one another one. The
0: yep. <laughs> just totally ran out of room maybe that's off the wall. Now, is this the one? No, nope, no, nope, that's not. That might have still – I think that's a double off the scoreboard. That was probably
1: 10th row, uh, but it probably would have been off the auxiliary scoreboard. This one, maybe 7th row, still, again, off the auxiliary scoreboard, coincidentally, off herman Marquez uh, last summer.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, w- that one was brutal to watch. <laughs> and that one –
1: that was about 100 de- – it was like 100 degrees out there on, on on that game. I was there covering that series, and it was oh, right, right. gross. Another one, right center field, about 390 off Chris right,
0: Sale. At Coors Field, that's for sure. This one kills me. That's, that's again, a, a, an easy out just about anywhere. That's the fourth one we've seen now where, um, it's again, you're subtracting four bases. Uh, it's not becoming a double. It's becoming an out. Um that, that's gone anywhere. That was a, that was a great hit. <laughs> great piece hit. Guy can hit. This one's way up there, too. This one's like halfway up, I think, that second deck. And, and you know, when we have this discussion, if you read
1: Drew's piece, you know that he's not putting down LeMahieu by any means. It's right. – we're, we're saying – Another one. Another one barely ekes out in and, and right field. But the the conversation is just that why is he magically all of a sudden better, you know, outside mm-hmm. of his prime at age 32?
0: You're That's the worst right one right here. There. That was a 315 foot home run to right field. That would have, again, been a very that that, that was the worst one uh, of the bunch. And yeah, it, it's not to pick on LeMayhew, it's to no. recognize that he's doing things that when he was doing these exact same things in Colorado, they were leading to outs and not home runs. And there hasn't been a a change in adjustment and so that means that the Colorado Rockies need to think long and hard about what kind of hitter is going to work their ball. That's the one, the one of the 16 right there and a game winner and a walk-off that went the other way that I think that probably was still an opposite field home run at Coors Field.
1: Yeah and you can see the ball just kind of just flying off the bat too and again we have to you know, keep that in uh, the context all year about the juice baseball, of course, last season. And, you know, he got a couple this year too, but um, certainly not to this extent where you just go, all right, Hey, you know, put a bat on the ball and oops, what do you know? I, I, I just hit a a two run home run there. It's
0: strange. Right. Right. Uh, And some of these, yeah, some of these are jam shots that he's just muscling out a little bit to right field, which again, he would do in Colorado, but they're, they're imperfect swings, and you don't get rewarded for those type of imperfect swings. And that's what I want to draw everyone's attention to here. Again, it's not to harp on what LeMayhu did or didn't do or what the Rockies have or haven't done. It's to recognize the type of swing and the type of result. This type of swing, that one there that was a game winner uh, in the postseason against Houston, that was the other one that was not at Yankee Stadium. Again, into the front row, a ball he got a little bit jammed on. There's a short porch out there there's a short wall out there and there's we're not trying to take any credit away the this is the point I also wanted to make in the article the advanced statistics have to give him credit for game winning home runs (laughs) you you can't just be like nah doesn't count just because right field just because if it was at another place it wouldn't have been a home run but the Rockies have to recognize that if they have players who that's as far as they're going to hit the ball. That's not a good fit for your ballpark, or you need to make sure that that hitter isn't trying to hit home runs and isn't seeking their value in hitting home runs, which means you need to have your own internal statistics and analytics that do a better job of recognizing when a contact hitter is producing value. I think of guys like we've had this debate with Tony Walters in 2018, uh, no, I'm sorry, in 2019, he was very specifically not trying to hit the ball as hard as he could. He was trying to hit singles basically every time up there. And, you know, the metrics and, and a lot of people tell you that's it's really not good. Well, this year he increased his exit velocity, but he decreased at least early in the going. Actually, I, I checked the baseball savant page today. It doesn't have his stats from this year. I think by the end of it, the, they, they did earlier in the year. I think when Walters started sitting, they, they don't have enough data uh, for some reason on, on Walters from this year, but he was hitting the ball harder, but less often. And he was getting fewer hits because Tony Walters doesn't have enough raw natural power to hit the ball out at Coors Field, maybe at Yankee Stadium, but not at Coors Field and so and and Walters might not even have the the honestly the raw power to hit it out too much at yankee stadium and so i think there might be an interesting pattern starting to develop here patrick where if you're going to have a contact hitter on your roster it needs to be a very specific kind of guy
1: absolutely right i i, I can't argue with that cuz i i think you on the flip side that's what the yankees did was they found a guy that had the, this really really great in, you know, inside out swing, similar to DJ, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. Similar to DJ, Derek she Jeter. Like DJ. Oh, right. That's right. Derek Jeter. Um, and I, and you know, I think, I think LeMahieu might even be a little bit bigger uh, than, than Derek Jeter too, a little taller, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit leaner. Um, but, but, you know, equally athletic and athletic. And and you saw that with, with what the Yankees were able to do with LeMahieu last year, playing him all around the infield uh, similar to this year as well. And, you don't have that option in Colorado with, with story and uh, Arenado at, at third base and several options at first base. So, okay, that that's fine. But uh, again, the Yankees recognize that, you know, what this guy has a swing and you know, even if, if we encourage that swing even more, so those fly balls to the warning track and right field at cores actually end up being home runs. That's a major, major difference. And in fact, if you go and, and kind of compare the, his, his last two seasons in Colorado, and you see over a you know 162 game season he's going to hit about 14 the average basically 14 home runs, 35 doubles and you see what he did in New York last year and you go oh actually a lot more of those doubles became home runs as we saw on that video and and some outs became doubles so you know, you, it was, it was a good trade in a lot of ways uh, in his stat line. And so Colorado needs to find those guys. It seemed like they had found a guy like that very easily with Daniel Murphy. That seemed like such the perfect fit. And maybe you do that, you know, it works seven times out of 10, eight times yeah. out of 10, something like that. And for whatever reason, maybe it again, just that, that finger injury that he had at the beginning of 2019 really seemed to derail things. Uh, the late start, he, he got off to an an incredible start was, was right after Charlie Blackman at the top of the NL, uh, batting leaders, uh, to start this abbreviated season. So, you know, you didn't get your, your money's worth with Murphy, but maybe you do, you know, seven, eight times out of 10. And, and again, in the grand scheme of things, $24 million over two seasons, essentially, um, you know, isn't, isn't that big of a deal. If you've got, you know, an extra 10 plus million dollars to spend, uh, I think they're going to probably look to to add some guys like that this off season, but shoot, you know, when, when you add Murphy and you lose LeMahieu like that, it's, it's really hard to, to kind of wrap your head around such a catastrophic move like that.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that it, it speaks to a failure to recognize this, specific issue. And, and we said yeah. before, you know, they, they should have overvalued DJ LeMahieu essentially. They should have paid him more than anyone else was willing to pay. If they, if that was, if they literally had the cash on hand, if that was an option, they should have taken it. And, and I, I have often defended and and have even said that I now I, I'm not sure I would have signed Daniel Murphy. I have often said that I totally understood letting LeMahieu walk because of the combination of young players that the Rockies had. At second base, McMahon, Hampson, Rogers. It was much more about that. But the the player eval part of it is the failure part of it, where you may think, well, LeMahieu's not worth X because he doesn't hit home runs. But you've got to recognize that at your ballpark, actually what LeMahieu does um, is valuable because he's a contact hitter who understands – that he's not going to hit home runs there, but he's not going to change his approach. And he's going to have the ability when healthy to flirt with batting 330. He is going to throw out the doubles. Like the double numbers are, are pretty consistent from where he was at in Colorado to New York. He had that one year where he had like a random nine triples in Colorado. The gaps are big out there and he used to run a little better. Um, but basically you, you've got the same guy and if you put him in the right, position to succeed you're going to continue to get even more out of him and instead they decided they needed a better offensive player and Daniel Murphy on paper may be the better offensive player but was he the right fit for the Rockies again I think you could argue on paper he might have been the right fit for the Rockies considering his profile but it very much looks like he was no longer that guy and then that's an advanced scouting question that's a that's a being able to know how close is this player to still being uh his prime self or or 80 to 90 percent of his prime self because what we've seen out of daniel murphy is 60 to sometimes 40 percent of his prime self
1: yeah it was it was almost a a move that you know, the Rockies made in, in previous eras where they weren't really contending, but Hey, here's a guy, you know, kind of used to be a name might still be a name, you know, and provide, you know, some, some great pop, you know, they've uh, made, they've swung trades for guys like that. And you can look and look back and you go, Hey, Jeffrey Hammonds had a, had a decent year and Oh, Jeremy Burnett. Hey, he had a decent year. And Jeff Cirillo, man had a really good season. Um, but you're right. It, 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 it just didn't really pan out when it, when it seemed like it was going to be something much more. A lot of people around the, the country had, had, had said like, man, Murphy's going to win a batting title there guaranteed. You know, yeah, he's a little bit older, but he'll be okay. Uh, he'll be able to manage Coors field. His impact on Ian Desmond will be positive as, as you know, Murphy was one of the leaders of the launch angle movement. And, you know, we did see some improvement from Desmond in, in 2019 and a change in approach. We saw him, you know, get underneath the ball a little bit adding a left-handed bat, which was really needed in the lineup. They were too right-handed heavy at that time. Murphy had really good numbers against the Dodgers. And right? it was like, wow, you know what? And the way he takes pitches, Daniel Murphy, you know, even if he doesn't do it in numbers on the field or in the lineup, whatever it whatever it may be, he could have this everlasting impact on the team and their approach as his veteran leadership and changing the way guys go about their business. And we still might find that out. We've, I can remember talking about that either this off season or late last year about how some guys were really, you know, praising Murphy and, and how he kind of you know, challenged the way they've you know, thought about their approach at the plate and on, on a few different things in a few different ways. And that still might be the case, but when you just look at the numbers and you just look at what he did on the field, you know, it uh, was a major, major disappointment.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that transitions us nicely into uh, again. I, I don't. We're not going to have the entire next part of this conversation. We're just going to whet your appetite a little bit. We're gonna, we're gonna tease this out a little bit here, and then you can take your bets on which way you think the Rockies are going to go. And if you're a betting person, as I have recently become, thanks to both our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and our guys here on the dnvr bets program who make it a whole lot of fun to follow along whether it's a sport you're really into an event you're really into or if you've never watched the nhl draft before and you want to see people freaking out over who gets taken with the 29th pick man this is for you it really can add an extra flair a little extra fire some fun With your friends when you're laying down five, 10, 20 bucks on what you think is going to happen. So that way you can say, hey, man, put your money where your mouth is. You're always so smart about what they should do, what's going to happen here, who's going to hit a home run, who's going to win this game. If you think you know, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and you can get a promo code bonus if you use that DNVR promo code of up to a thousand. Bucks. That's a big old smackaroo. I believe that's a, a the technical term for it. Uh, a G, a honkin' G. Nah, a, a, I believe I've I've wandered off the rails there just a little bit. But either way, if you do use that promo code DNVR, they'll hook you up with a bonus code or a bonus promo of up to. A thousand dollars must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to 500 bucks. Deposit bonus requires 25 by playthrough. Restrictions apply. See draftkingscom slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And the final thing that I wanted for us to discuss here, Patrick, and like I said, I think it's the beginnings of a conversation because. As I was looking at these DJ LeMayhew numbers, I was looking for some interesting comparisons. I was thinking about contact hitters in the history of the Colorado Rockies and on the current one. And anyone who knows me knows I went immediately to two names. Of course, those being Juan Pierre and Raimo Tapia. Not the same hitters because LeMayhew, as we've discussed, does have pop in that bat and actually always had. He at least had the ability to get double-digit home runs 30 doubles, actually, really almost like clockwork 33 doubles every year. It's bizarre 33 doubles every time, or 32. Okay, it's, but it's yeah. Um, but in terms of low strikeout rate, high contact rate, not exceptionally high exit velocity, and not exceptionally high slugging, at least while in Colorado you've got some interesting comparisons. And the reason I bring up those two players is because I'm basically seeing, Now, I don't think this has really become a debate yet, but I, I think it's about to, because I see a camp of people who have long been very interested, and I understand why, and Jackie Bradley Jr., impending free agent, who's been with the Boston Red Sox for many years. And we, of course, have also talked about, and Mastin will continue to talk about, one Kevin Pillar, and what we have here now is a group of players with similar profiles, but different specifics. And I think that somewhere in here, there's an answer. There's a pattern. There's there's something we've got to find. And I think it's really fascinating because if, if I would have taken a blind guess at which player I thought would f- be the best fit for the Rockies, I might have said Jackie Bradley Jr. because I think it's um, – just a name. It's a, it's a more exciting name. Uh, but the more I look into it and I use the barometer of what we've discovered with the Lemayhu article and, and compare it against stats of guys like Juan Pierre and Ryan Maltapia, I think Kevin Pillar, especially being right-handed might be the better option for the Colorado Rockies.
1: Yeah. Before, you know, before the trade deadline, or before this season, I would say even before last season, it was pretty much a no brainer that, you know, JBJ, Jackie Bradley Jr., would be the better of the two options, um, particularly because just, you know, provides a little more pop with the bat. Um, seen some amazing defensive plays. Uh, the met- defensive metrics really, you know, seem to like him. Did a fantastic job out in center field for Boston for all those years. So, you know, he's been a part of winning clubs in um, and, and a lot of different ways. And anytime you could bring in you know, a winning ball player, it's, uh, it, it's good for your clubhouse. Again, didn't work with Daniel Murphy, but <laughs> it will typically work a lot of times. And so I would have said, I would have gone that way. But after what we saw following his acquisition from coincidentally, the Boston Red Sox, I think Kevin Pillar is your better bet, especially if you're thinking about salary wise, because yes, um, JBJ is a guy that comes with you know, uh, he's a big ticket player playing in Boston, you know, under the, under the bright lights of, of the Fens They're in, uh, in Boston at Fenway park in the AL East. And, you know, could be, you know, could go down the same route as, as a Johnny Damon, you know what I mean? Where you say a, a guy that, you know, teams really want to get their hands on once they hit free agency. And, you know, we, we all seem to maybe, it happens a lot of times where you undervalue your guys and, even you know you and I having these conversations talking about well do you trade Nolan Arenado and but when's the next time a Nolan Arenado is going to come around? Right now, granted, maybe you say well, when's the next time Trevor Story comes? One right next to him, but that's right. Yeah, but, but it's, when, yeah, it's amazing to, to think like okay, he goes to another club and then he's making the postseason every year and he's hitting you know two three home runs per postseason series and you go oh my God, wow, we, we didn't even realize what we had. And I think, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. could be one of those guys, which is why I think the price tag on him will probably be, you know, um, somewhat substantially more. He is a year younger than Pilar, And um, I think, you know, you, you saw what Pilar got in free agency, you know, this last year, a one-year $4.5 million deal with Boston. I think he'll get more this offseason, especially – because it will probably be from Colorado, if I had to guess. But I, I like that he's got a right-handed bat in the midst of all those left-handed bats in the outfield between Tapia, Dahl, Blackman, even Sam Hilliard. You need to have you need to have some options out there, and I think Pilar is is going to be very affordable and is the better of those two options. But I, I, I like the comparison. I think Pilar puts the ball in play a little bit more, doesn't strike out quite as
0: much. Sixteen percent versus twenty-five percent. That's that for me is the big. That's a problem. That's a, yeah, and when yeah. and when you can platoon or at least yeah, at least use Pilar when he's either hot or against left-handed pitching because if you have a healthy again, we're assuming if David Dahl's still on the team, if you've got also Tapia trying to get Hilliard into the mix, maybe some, and you've still got Charlie Blackman not thrilled about the idea of playing DH, a bunch of left-handed hitters. Uh, but it's that, yeah, the, the making the more contact again, as we look into it, he's not going to get credit is Pilar in a lot of these WRC plus numbers. I mean, I mean, at Coors Field, particularly um, for doing that. And it's not going to look as good, but I do think it's going to be productive and valuable the team more than a guy who say maybe we'll hit four or five more home runs in a typical 162, uh, which, which actually isn't even, but, but again, I agree with your idea that there's maybe even a little bit more in there uh, for Jackie Bradley jr. So, so let's say, let's give him an extra five home runs, but if he's striking out 10% more often and the rest of the numbers are basically even um, I'd rather have the the better platoon guy who's putting the ball in play all the time.
1: And, and you're going to be that much more frustrated because I think that's the one thing that, you know, this lineup and, and this team has to unlock is just the ability to put the ball in play. You have the largest outfield in all of baseball and, you know, you, you go and look and there was something that I saw earlier this year where it broke the outfield down into these really small quadrants and it had a player's name in each of those quadrants, like where they got, you know, who had the most hits, who hit a ball in this general area And there were a couple spots for Todd Hilton. I think there were also some for Carlos Gonzalez. And you go, well, yeah, that makes sense. They played in Colorado for so long. But it was in those, like that that, that right center field kind of general area where those guys dumped in a lot of base hits and a lot of balls that turned into doubles. And look, it it was an approach that worked for the Royals and won them a World Series in, in 2015 where they just put the ball in play. That became... For that period of time that became the new money ball just get guys to put the ball in play force the defense to do things and again you have the chance to move runners over even if you have a four three ground out that runner on second base now moves over to third whereas if you strike out that runner is still stuck on second base so putting the ball in play when you have a big outfield which kansas city does it's the second largest in all of baseball you you have an opportunity to do something big there and you can't live and die with the three run home run. You're gonna win a lot of games with that. You know, we've seen that here in the playoffs. But you have to put that ball in play. So I think Pilar, you know, becomes the better option. But you know what? What happens if Ian Desmond comes back? Maybe that's your addition as a right handed hitter in this outfield. Stop it. And, it and it might not be the most exciting one that you know you you've got there, but it is one that you know, Jeff Breidich needs to get on the phone and say, "Are you know, are you coming back? Are you retired? Is your project in Sarasota, you know, more valuable to you and, and your family? You know, because it's, I can't imagine, you know, being home with my family during this time, and then saying, okay, well, I have this obligation to go do it. And yeah, it's good money, but now I, I, now you're really tearing me away. I'm used to doing it, you know, right. every winter when I got to go down to spring training. But now, what's the deal? Because whether or not Ian Desmond comes back is a piece to what you do this off season, as far as who you want to acquire and who you need to acquire.
0: Yeah, I think it's a relatively small one. You're right. Because if he, if he decides to come back, he'll be on the roster because of money he's making. I I think he'll be there. He's a bench guy. He'll, he'll generally be considered, you know, 24th, 25th or what? There's 26 now, huh? Uh, 26th man on the roster, whatever he's going to be there. I, You know, I hope it doesn't impact their thinking too much, though, if they decide maybe if it's like we like a right handed outfielder and we like a right handed first baseman and we're going back and forth between the two. Well, with Desmond back and we really want him to stay away from first, we're, we're not doing that again. Maybe we'll go after the first baseman because we have some right-handed insurance with Desmond. Like, yeah, if if you're weighing it like that, I I, I can see it being a thing for sure. But boy, I hope they're not sitting there going, Hey, getting Desi back. That'll be a big addition because I, you know, uh, I don't think any, I don't don't think anybody actually thinks that. (laughs) I hope nobody actually thinks
1: that. It's hard because he doesn't necessarily have a position and, you know, the position you could see him having the most success in, theoretically is left field and that forces potentially Ryan Tapia over to center field, which doesn't make Ryan Tapia a better player. I think he's a better left fielder than he is center fielder. And again, that, that makes your team you know weaker in a lot of ways. And, and of course, you know, I, we, we don't really think Desmond is going to be fighting for a spot in, in the starting lineup as a yeah. starter, but there will be days where he has to run out there and there will be times in which guys hit the IL and you need to rely upon Ian Desmond you know, consistently for a two week stretch. And, you know, he can, he can certainly catch fire. He's, he's an athletic guy. I would not count that out of Ian Desmond. But again, if going back to the Daniel Murphy conversation and, you know, finding guys who fit well in Colorado, you know, the fit just unfortunately hasn't been great for, for Ian Desmond on the field in the clubhouse. I think it's been a great fit and off the field as well with what he's been able to do with, with the community in and around Denver. He's doing it down there. Uh, in Sarasota, in Florida, so he's he's an A plus guy in that way. But if we're talking about on the field, and that's that's what you and I get paid for, you know, he's he's not bringing as as much as you would like.
0: Yeah, uh, and and I do think that uh, there there will probably even be strong consideration from just buying him out and and moving on anyway. And and as you yeah. uh, you alluded to, there's there's been even a long enough separation, and certainly the numbers would merit it. It's not like you'd like oh, is this retribution for him opting out? Like, no, 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 no. None of that. It's just, it, it is time for the Rockies to move in, in a different direction. And as we've discussed, and we'll continue to discuss all off season, there is no guarantee. You're, you're rolling your dice on any of these guys. You've just got to try to increase your odds of success by finding those specific patterns of, of what has worked. And right now, you know, those, those guys are falling outside of it. We'll be looking for them. Well, again, like I said, we'll get into the free agents talk specifically, I think probably right around the time of the World Series. We'll start going kind of position by position at who's going to be out there so that as soon as guys are ready to start signing contracts, you'll have a great idea of who will be available for the Rockies and who we think might qualify and, and be a good fit here because that's – that's a major, major part of it.
1: Yeah. What, who are the available loogies? Who, to they, need one. is there a SPARP that they need to bring in? Are you familiar with this term, Drew?
0: SPARP? I, I, I didn't know SPARP.
1: It, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, I don't think, I know it's It's more of a fantasy term for a pitcher who can be a starting pitcher uh, and a relief pitcher. Relief a pitcher. Sparp. SPARP. So uh, I think the Rockies have a lot of SPARPs in their. Their bullpen as of right now, unfortunately. So no team actually needs a sparp. No, uh, but in fantasy baseball, it's helpful to have a guy where hey, you know what? He's a starter sometimes. He could be there, and or I could stash him as a reliever. So uh Lugies and Sparps, that's we might be a, the, the name of a whole postseason series. Right.
0: Be on the lookout for lugie's and Sparps coming your way. You can only find that if you're following us on social media at Patrick D Lions, at Drew Creisman, at DNBR underscore Rockies got to subscribe to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of that written content. Plus you get discounts on hats, shirts, masks. You get a bigger beer when you come on down to the DNBR bar and you get to be a part of one of the coolest sports communities anywhere in the world. We know we appreciate all of the love we received from all of you. Just continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time. We will see you at the ballpark.